I'm Trevor Cummings, and these are my Thoughts on Money. Hello, and welcome to the Thoughts on Money podcast, what we like to call Tom. I'm Trevor Cummings, your host of the podcast, and your author of today's article on ThoughtsOnMoney.com. And I'm here with my good friends, Mr. Sean Latimer. Good morning. And Blaine Carver. Good morning. This article was an ode to you. Appreciate it. Did you like that? I loved it. Yeah. Uh, Blaine wrote an article last week, and I've been thinking about it all week. And I thought it made a huge difference in my life. And a lot of it was around framing mm-hmm. and goal setting. And this idea of it's very easy to say what we want to do, but it can be a lot more impactful when you say who you want to be. I think it takes a lot more work. You agree, right? I, I absolutely agree. <laughs> you know I agree because I wrote the article last week, but I, I think it takes a lot more work to understand who you want to be. But as I said uh, last week in the podcast and the article, I think it's it's kind of foundational to understand the the what and the how of, of how you want to change in 2024. Yeah, the whole time I was thinking about it, I don't know why, but that old Michael Jackson song was going through my head. Like it all starts with the man in the mirror. Mm-hmm. Because when you start with the who, it's like, it's the depths of you. It's like, I don't know. I've never, I've always had this desire to not want to be a hypocrite. So you start telling yourself what your DNA should look like, who you want to be. And then it's a nice little measuring stick to kind of hold yourself accountable. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, it's actually kind of funny because I, I know Trevor very well because I've known him for a long time. And so sometimes I can tell when he's trying to work on something, like not get involved in a situation or not be, not that you're combative, but not argue. And, and then, I am combative, and I'll then, help you out. <laughs> and then sometimes it, it's almost funny because people will come to him for advice or a situation and he's almost like bowing out and not being as helpful as normal because he's trying so hard to not get himself in the middle of something. And I, I've noticed it sometimes. It's funny. I think that when we try to improve in something, we're also, we should be mindful that we don't, you know, check ourselves out almost. Yeah. Like overcorrection, right? Yes, in exactly. like a, a car. Isn't that what people do? That uh, is exactly. Drifting like or something they overcorrect. It's funny you mentioned that because uh, I'm an elder at my church and there's been a few elder meetings recently. And I've told my wife this, that like I am trying to be less combative and that idea of understanding the difference between mountains and molehills. And then somebody will ask my opinion and I'll give it. And then somebody else will be like, oh, I disagree and say why. And they're like, do you disagree with me, Trevor? And I'm like, don't do this to me. Yeah. Like, I, I, like, it's a trap. <laughs> this is like throwing an alcoholic in a, in a bar. You know what I mean? Like, just stop it. Like, I'm trying really hard and I've, I've noticed lately. Um, but it's a good advice from you that you don't want to overcorrect. Mm-hmm. So um, you overcompensate on one side and then you start to have a different deficiency. Yeah. You know, it's funny, uh, we're talking about, you know, goal planning and, and trying to become a better person of who we are. But I also think that the circumstances of the environment you're in matter too, because when you're trying to, uh, well, let's just say like, I'm going to be a really kind person in 2024 and everything's great and everyone around you is being really nice. You're like, oh, this is great. And then someone like cuts you off and then like throws their drink at your car. So then you're like, oh my gosh, why is someone egging me on? And uh, I, I heard a funny story this morning from a friend that we play basketball with. And he went to the Rose Bowl, and he is a diehard Michigan football fan. And uh, and I was like, oh, did you have fun at the game? Because, spoiler alert, they won. And uh, he's like, I did, but the whole time I was so stressed out. And I, I kind of asked him, I said, well, were you nervous throughout the game, or did you have faith that they were going to pull it out? And he goes, you know, normally I'm a happy-go-lucky, positive person, but the whole time I was watching, I became a total cynic. I was like, oh, we need to fire all of our coaches. They're the worst. I can't believe them. And it, I don't know, it reminded, this article reminded me of it because when you get thrown in a tough situation, it's funny how it can change your emotions and uh, kind of take you out of your element. 
Yeah, and you and I play basketball together, and we we see that in the instance, right? Like somebody takes a shot, and you're like, no, 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 no. Oh, it went in. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> like bad shot choice, but end result, okay, I'm okay with it. Yeah. Well, I, I hope you both watched both of those uh, games on New Year's Day because the Michigan uh, Alabama game was incredible. It was great. And, both and games are great. The second game was even better. Yeah. So. <laughs> Are you rooting for Washington because you have some roots there? Or? You know, I, I will go for UW in the championship. Yep. Yeah, that bandwagon thing. I've, I've seen it before. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting, too, like you said, about being situational because I'm trying to think what movie it is. I think it's Evan Almighty, which is like the... Steve the Steve Carell? For, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yep. I, think I don't know if we're allowed to say people. Yeah. Oh, again, yeah, yeah. And, or, or, or Bruce Almighty, which Jim Carrey. Jim I, don't Carrey know, yeah. I don't know which one it is, but I remember, I think Morgan Freeman's playing God. And um, I think, I don't know what the situation is, but the guy wants to be, uh, like, have more courage. And Morgan Freeman says to him, like, hey, if you pray for courage, God doesn't just give you courage. He gives you opportunities to be courageous yeah so it's mm. funny that you mentioned that is as you want to change your he- who it's not just like having a mantra and a commitment and you wrote it in your journal you're going to come up against situations where there has to be an opportunity where you flex that new muscle yeah that's where accountability is huge we, we talked about it a little bit last week but having somebody in your corner whether it's a spouse whether it's friends coworkers, that's huge it's going to help you overcome uh, the barriers that come, those circumstances that are difficult to, to go through. So what I wanted to provide our listeners today in the article uh, was what does a great investor look like, right? If if you have an aspiration in 2024, got to get used to saying that, in 2024, mm-hmm. um, to improve as an investor, and it's we're not going to talk about what you're going to do, we're talk about who you want to be. Um, I'm sure the list could be endless, but I just picked a few things that stood out to me as, hey, these attributes seem pretty common to me when I look at somebody and say, hey, that is a successful investor. So those were self-focused, which is funny because it seems like a negative, but self-focused, student of history, strategic, long-term thinker, and humble. So we always try to keep this podcast somewhat short, but we'll dive into um, each of those and we'll start uh, with self-focused. So I, I'm going to talk about the story that you bring up in the article, but uh, I thought it was really important that there's a famous race and I'll let Trevor tell the story. No, but, go ahead. Well, okay. There was, a, there was a 2016 Olympics. There was a matchup long awaited between uh, Michael Phelps, who was obviously the U.S. swimmer, and then Chad, I'm going to mess up his name, Lay Kloss. Get close, yeah, I don't close. know. South Africa, uh, South Africa, and uh, they there was a lot of like rivalry history, and you you could tell there was like a build up where weren't you saying that the South African swimmer was like shadow boxing and trying to get pumped up, and there was a big there was a famous stare down from Michael Phelps, and and uh, I don't want to, to give it away, but there's a picture in the article, and it shows uh, Michael Phelps winning, and Leclerc just staring at him to the side instead of focusing on his own race, and I, I think that that's how a lot of investors, what they find themselves doing, because instead of focusing on their own plan and their own goals, they hear about their friend or their neighbor that hit the home run or uh, had this great investment at a cocktail party. And instead of thinking like, oh, I'm really satisfied with my plan and I'm on track, they start to get that FOMO, that fear of missing out or or a little bit of envy. And uh, that will drive someone to make bad decisions. In that South African swimmer, he lost by a fraction of a second. I actually don't know if this part's true, but I I remember reading, and anybody can fact check this, but it might have been one of, I don't know, like the top 10 closest finishes in like Olympic history. 
So when you capture that picture and he's looking over at his competitor rather than his finish line and he loses by a fraction a, of a second, yeah. you have to imagine that him turning his head, I'm sure someone knows the science behind it, slowed him down that that fraction of a second. So Yeah, and you guys talk to investors all day, like that idea of run your race, run your race. Like it does not matter what your neighbor did, what some billionaire did, or what you read in a, a clickbait article, run your race. So good. I was even thinking, you guys are talking about you know, comparing yourself to others and how we you know, shouldn't do that, run your own race. I was even thinking about it in the context of when we give portfolio reports to some clients, we'll often show the different returns based on account. And you'll often see the Roth performs differently than the trust, which performs differently than the IRA. And sometimes clients will be like, hey, I want every one of my accounts to perform like the Roth did last year. It's like we have to have the conversation of, hey, each account is different. Each account in this instance needs to run its own race. Yeah, it's true. And that is the hardest conversation for me. And I don't think investors or clients think about this. As much as you pressure your advisor to do something that you think is right, at some point, for some advisors, they're going to buckle. Mm-hmm. And like the entire reason the, the accounts, what you bring up, perform differently is usually for tax efficiency. Right. Like you're placing different strategies in different accounts based on how they're treated tax wise. And you have an overarching theme of diversification, but pressure an advisor enough, if they haven't been in the business or um, they're a jellyfish, they're going to just say, hey, path of least resistance, just copy paste every account the same. And then there is uh, no tax efficiency. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it kind of goes into the next category where, um, you know, the education and the history of investments themselves are important because there's a lot of times where we'll have conversations with clients and they'll say something similar like why why don't we just this is done really well why don't we just put all the money in this and you have to kind of do that hand holding and the education to explain you know the asset classes are designed to be owned in different places on purpose but also you own these different things to diversify the overall portfolio and you know you show one of those heat maps that show kind of the random randomness of returns and normally that's pretty eye-opening but if someone hasn't seen that before they're really quick to say like hey this did great this did bad what the heck why'd you own it and uh so you kind of find yourself on your heels sometimes yeah and being a student of history is so key because so much of our emotions are uh anchored to our expectations and if you're a student of history and you know how frantic markets could act then you're coming with that expectation and you have less of a chance of being surprised or what people sometimes being called getting caught flat-footed. And if you know emotions play such a huge role in investor behavior, having that history, that context uh, is significant. It's hugely significant. Trevor, you mentioned being a student of history. When I think of that, I often think of a history of other people, of you know the past. But you mentioned the article, do you learn from your own mistakes? And that was eye-opening to me. Am I learning from my own mistakes? Am I going through the history of myself as an investor, understanding my pitfalls, what I'm prone to do? Am I prone to sell out when things get a little hairy? Or am I prone to try to buy what my neighbor's buying because it's up 20% in the last two weeks? Yeah, Sean and I, because we've been doing this podcast for quite some time, we will find little taglines or statements or or ways of explaining things. And even for us, like it's impactful. And one thing both of us use is this idea of game film, Mm -hmm. right? Like if you want to be a student of your own history, 
go look at some game film, right? That is going to be much better, in my opinion, than some risk survey you take, right? How have you behaved in the past when a situation looked like X? Yeah, and it's not to stick their nose in it, but it Mm -hmm. is helpful to say like, hey, time out. You know, you told me during financial crisis, you went and made a bunch of changes that you didn't want to, that you realized you shouldn't have made in hindsight. Then in COVID, I have a few emails here where you were telling me, hey, shouldn't we be changing this, changing that? And then in hindsight, you said, oh, I'm glad we didn't do that. And now here we are in whatever future scary event that's happening. And it kind of feels the same. We don't really have the certainty that we want. And you're wanting things to change. Time out. Maybe we should pause for a second and make sure we stick to the plan. Hardest part about that is to be honest with yourself. Yeah. Because <laughs> we we fool ourselves into thinking that we didn't do something or we did do something five years ago. And unless it's written down or unless you yeah. know, our advisor <laughs> reminds us, we often don't don't think of it. And it also takes a lot of time like, to build that relationship and trust because the last thing you want to do is offend anyone. Mm-hmm. And so I could see you mentioned earlier, maybe an advisor that hasn't done this very long. They, the last thing they want to do is make hurt the person's feelings or make them upset. So they're trying to navigate a new relationship, giving good advice or what they think is good advice. And uh, that, that can be tough. One of my favorite authors in, in the world of finance is Morgan Housel. And he has a, a newer book that came out. I think it was somewhere around November or something like that. And the title of the book, I think, is borrowed from a quote. I don't remember who Richard Feynman. I don't remember whose quote it was. But the title of the book is Same as Ever. And I believe, I'm doing this from memory, but like almost every chapter ends with him saying, same as ever. And, and the reason he's saying that is he's saying like the characters in history will change. The, the specifics will change, but humans are humans and same as ever. You know what I mean? So it's something to be said that uh, as you want to recraft your who, you have to maybe start with knowing who are you today? You know what I mean? Where are you coming from? And then those behaviors, those habits, a little bit are same as ever. Uh, I started reading that book as well. And uh, there, there's a I think a couple chapters that talk about expectations and how, you know, if you ask most people, they talk about how, you know, the roaring fifties were the best time ever. But if you actually think about the lifestyle and access to medicine and healthcare and, and just overall information and technology, uh, most people, if you ask them at that time, they'd rather have all the things that we have, but what has changed is the expectation. You know, it, they did, there's a lot of data that compared, you know, families in that time frame that were able to you know, own a home and a newer automobile, and I think one used, and uh, and go on one like vacation of camping or something like that on one income, and it seemed like that was great. But now it's not that that's really changed because it was showing the increase in income based for adjusted adjusted on inflation. But what's interesting is the expectations have definitely changed, and now with social media, we're able to see the highlight reel of everyone's lives, which is normally inflated. You know, it's not always the Every day is not rainbows and butterflies, but we see what other people want. And so our expectations have changed. I think back then, everyone was kind of in the same situation. Or that, that's not true, but that's the example they're giving. Most of your neighbors had the similar cars, similar house, similar income. So you didn't feel like that FOMO or, or this person has it better than me as much. And so the result is, and sorry, I'm kind of going long-winded, but the result was it pushes people to uh, extend themselves and try to get more than what their income allows. And that's what, uh, what that negative feedback loop is where they find themselves making bad financial decisions and then they end up making worse investment decisions and then it keeps going. Yeah, the, the, a culture of comparison. 
yeah. and all the impacts that has that going back to our run your race, you're, you're more enthralled by your, you know, the person in the lane next to you than the, your own responsibilities or, or your own goals. You look at the stats of the average uh, square footage of a home you know, from the 1950s to today. And I think it's doubled or something, maybe even tripled. And it's not that that's a bad thing, but I think to your point, Sean, we should be grateful for that rather than just compare it to our neighbor. That was like such a good point. And the people, the families were larger. So it was like mm-hmm. more people, more kids and a smaller house mm-hmm. and almost complaining. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. It makes sense why David has that section of uh, doomsdayism. Against doomsday. Against yeah. doomsday. Yeah. yeah. Because to, expectations are so huge. And we'll go next. We're talking about the importance for an investor to be strategic. And I, I label the section, what's the plan? Uh, we went into another book very different than Morgan Housel, right? Uh, Lewis Carroll's Alice's Adventures in Wonderland. And I'll just read it. So, and I know our listeners have heard it before, but it's a conversation between Alice and the Cheshire Cat. It says, would you tell me, please, which way I ought to go from here? That depends a good deal on where you want to get to, said the cat. I don't much care where, said Alice. Then it doesn't matter which way you go, said the cat. Alice says, so as long as I get somewhere... Alice added as an explanation, oh, you're sure to do that, said the cat, if you only walk long enough, right? So it's just this idea is if you don't have a plan, you will get somewhere. But the idea of a plan is to set some sort of direction, not a finish line, but some sort of strategic direction and that you can build on and that you can have momentum in that direction. Otherwise, you're approaching your finances with a blindfold on. One of the things, I'll just get into a specific example. One of the things I see as an advisor is this example of investors that have multiple custodians, sometimes many custodians. Custodians would be something like Fidelity, Vanguard, Schwab, et cetera. And there's this thinking or feeling that that provides them diversification because they have the money in different pots. But what I often uncover as you look at the statements and look at the actual holdings is that oftentimes it leads to actually maybe less diversification. And certainly it makes it a lot harder to have a cohesive plan. You use the word cohesive, Trevor, in the article. I love that. Um, because you might have, say, the S&P 500 in one custodian, but then you have Apple, Google, Amazon in another custodian, and you're not realizing that... Redundancy. There's redundancy. Or maybe you have a strategy in one uh, custodian, and that's counteracted by a strategy with, with the other custodian. One of the things I was thinking about when I was writing this section, maybe something I'll go back and add to the written, but my boys love to draw, a five-year-old and a three-year-old. Five-year-old, when he draws something, I can guess what it is. Three-year-old draws something, and I'm looking at it, squinting my eyes, like turning the paper around, like landscape, portrait, like trying to figure out, and then he's like, Daddy, it's a cow sitting on the moon. And I'm like, Dear Lord, I, I had no idea where he got that from, but... That same feeling, each of us talks to at least one investor a week that are not clients of ours, right? That's probably a fair statement. We grab statements because people are asking for feedback, and we are turning the statements upside down, sideways, squinting our eyes, and we're trying to find where is the thread? Like, where is the strategic part of this portfolio? And I've gotten into conversations sometimes where people are like, well, just give me advice. Like, it's kind of like that Cheshire Cat. Sure. I mean, if you don't know where you're going, I give you any sort of advice, right? We need to know what the objective is first. And then there should be some clarity when you look at a portfolio statement that says, oh, 
Makes sense. That matches that objective. The other thing to keep in mind, too, is that also a lot of times people will start to seek that advice as they approach retirement or they're in retirement. But uh, the there's countless times that I've seen where people ask for advice and I look at, you know, uh, someone in their peak earnings, maybe in their mid 40s, and I'm looking at a 401k or retirement account, and it, it's just allocated incorrectly. And you would think, like, some people may think, what's the big deal? But I know people that work in our industry that are that probably listen to this article that are interested in personal finance, but know, oh, it's probably a big deal if you have half your money in stocks, half your money in bonds for 20 or 30 years while you're maxing that out. That's, uh, that could be a detriment to your overall financial plan. So uh, don't wait until, oh, I'm retiring next year. Maybe I should start talking to someone. Uh, there's probably some decisions that you can make along the way that would make a pretty big impact in your plan. Yeah, I think even teaching people the rule of 72 can be really impactful, right? Take 72, divide it by your expected rate of return. I'm going to say 10% just because it's easy math. 72 divided by 10 is 7. Therefore, I double my money every 7 years, right? You start to do that concept and you say, okay, well, let's say the return was 7%. So then I double my money every 10 years. And then if we're just in conversation, is 7% that much different than 3.5%? It doesn't, doesn't feel like it. Yet it's going to take you 20 years to double your money versus 10 years. And that's what Sean's saying is that compounding can be heavily impacted if your objectives and your portfolio are out of alignment. I think with the 401k example, Sean, oftentimes that just comes down to what I call drift last week. We just default into the default investment option and we don't really think about it because we're so busy with our own job. Um, So it really comes down to just sitting down intentionally, um, either by yourself or with someone and going through that. Um, But I was going to talk about, um, there's kind of two types of investors, right? There's a do-it-yourself investor and then there's somebody who might delegate to an advisor and how important knowing why you own what you own if you're a do-it-yourselfer. That's so important. And then with an advisor, you still want to know why you own what you own. But sometimes we have clients that hire us because they don't want to think about finances. Mm -hmm. And so I think that comes down to trust. You have to trust the advisor and come up with a collaborative plan. Yeah, and even with trust, you can ask basic questions and just get an idea of like, is the person across from you like, sweating and getting jittery or like are they seamlessly being able to explain now it can be tough doing that because a lot of great salespeople out there but i would say that it should be somewhat logical to you like someone should be able to boil it down to some level of simplicity where there's not only one way to invest but you understand generally why you invest the way you do yeah i was thinking as you were talking blaine it uh it is interesting because I have seen a few times where people are do-it-yourselfers for a long time, and they're really smart. And sometimes it's not that they can't do it. They, they, they're probably very capable, but there are times in their lives where they do realize either it's taking a lot of their time and they want to start maybe enjoying retirement, or if as they get later in life, they realize if something were to happen to them, the rest of their family wouldn't be equipped. And I think that that's kind of an eye-opening moment, which ties into trust. Because when they're interviewing a group, they're not thinking, oh, are you guys smarter than me? Because they, they've done it successfully. They're thinking, who can I trust to kind of take care of everything uh, when I'm not around? And there's a lot more that goes into it than just picking stocks and bonds. I feel like every thoughts on money should have a Yogi Berra quote. Um, I think that would be really appropriate. And I like this last, last section I titled Humble Pie and humility. Oh, such an important part 
of investing. And I'll, I'll say later in the article, if you are not humble, the markets will humble you. Mm-hmm. And that Yogi Berra quote was, it's tough to make predictions, especially about the future. <laughs> and uh, I just love uh, so many of his quotes. Uh, the example I use there is, if, you know, go do a Google search. Go read in, on Wikipedia about long-term capital management, right? Uh, a team of individuals, investors, made up of a lot of rocket scientists, right? Folks that were incredibly intelligent and they made a huge mistake, not a mistake that was only detriment to them and detrimental to their clients, detrimental to the economy. The government had to step in for this hedge fund and essentially bail them out, right? If you are not humble, the markets will humble you. Yeah, I, uh, when I was reading Humble Pie and we say the markets will humble you, I always think of... Um you know, we all have those stories or scenarios of times where we've seen it firsthand where the markets just go south on someone and, and they double down and just make the wrong decision. And there was a certain bank that was failing not too long ago. And I remember him telling me, like, everyone knows they're going to get bailed out or bought. This is like free money. And I remember hearing him say this and I, and I was like, it kind of gave me chills, almost like I had a combination of FOMO, like, wait, am I, am I missing an obvious great investment? And then a combination of like, wait a minute, there's like an alarm going off in my head that if this just seems too good to be true, and that bank did not get bailed out. And I remember that my first thought when I read the news and watched the ticker go to pretty much zero, I was like, oh my gosh, I felt bad for him. But uh, yeah, I think we all have those stories, right? Yeah, when you get a taste of that hubris, you're like, oh man, I feel bad for you. I feel bad for you because there's only one way you're going to learn. And like Sean and I talk about this quite a lot. If you're, uh, you know, what's that? Uh, over your skis a little bit too much? Is mm-hmm. that the right yeah, statement? Yeah. If you're over your skis a little bit too much and you have some success, ooh. <laughs> yeah, uh, we, you know, combo. Yeah, we talked about it a couple of weeks ago is that, you know, you could be up 50%, right? But then you go down 50% from there. And now all of a sudden you're down 25% from your original dollar amount. You can go back and do the math if you want to see how that works. But yeah, uh, humble pie. When I was reading this, uh, section of the article, I was just thinking, we always talk about being humble, but how do you actually become humble? It's a good question. What do you think, Sean? I think you get smoked in an investment choice and then, and it's on paper in front of people. Yeah. So you can't like hide it like no one saw. And, uh, and you have to kind of sit there and go, oh, maybe I don't know everything. But uh, I think it happens in sports too. Like Trevor and I play basketball and there's sometimes where, you know, you, you switch on defense. You're like, oh, I got this guy. And then he scores on you multiple times. Mm-hmm. And you're sitting there thinking, well, he's a better basketball player than me. You so just kind of accept that. You yeah, know? so you're actually saying it comes through experience. It oh, yeah. Like. Oh, yeah. I, yeah. Would th- I would think so. Yeah. I, I think as well, um, going back to run your race, you know what I mean? If you're running your race, that's probably like a pretty good start. Mm-hmm. And then a second thing, this isn't perfect, but I'll add it to that, is that if you try to assign probabilities to things that you're forecasting – it can be helpful if you find yourself saying that this is guaranteed to happen or this is 100% going to happen and maybe even journal it to help you. Like your own words of of the past will, should humble you quite quickly. Didn't we used to do that? We would talk about like certain like uh, positions or stocks that like smaller companies are like, oh, I wonder if this will do well. And we, and we would like mark it in our calendar to check the price like a year later. And we're like, oh man, that did not go the way we thought. 
So yeah, one interesting thing I feel like I've brought it up a lot uh, in this office and outside of the office, and, and it talks about it a little bit in that book, same as ever. You only when you run your race, right? You only get one sequence of probabilities. You know what I mean? You don't see what could have happened, right? With each situation, there's endless possibilities, but all you see is what you actually experienced. So I'm scared to do this on the podcast, but I'll do it uh, a little bit inappropriate. So the other day we were coming home from somewhere kind of late and I was bringing the boys in and they were just tired and beat up. And for some reason, my older boy, when he gets um, exhausted his stomach just doesn't do super well. So I'm like carrying him in and sorry for all our listeners, but he throws up all over me and all over the ground. And it's super late. It's been a long day. I think we're at a theme park or something. So like I get him up to his room to go to bed, put the other little boy in bed and there's just clean up, right? And my wife was like, ah, oh, like, and she's bummed. And I stopped and said, you know what? I'm happy. That happened in the car. That would have been a two-hour ordeal yeah. of cleaning and really hard to get the smell out. Like it happened on tile floor, like not ideal, but I turned a situation framing, right? I turned a yeah. situation where I was like, I am so grateful this happened on tile floor because let me give you three other options that I would have hated on my couch, in my car, or in their room on a rug. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So uh that can help us in perspective saying, hey, only one scenario pay- played out, but man, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a fraction of it going a different way. All right, Blaine, I'm going to call Nicole after this and see what really happened. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, maybe no more throw-up stories on the podcast. Yeah, sorry, no, sorry guys. It's all right. Uh, Blaine, anything to close us out with? I was just thinking about Warren Buffett. I don't know the, the exact quote, but we all know Warren Buffett was one of the most intelligent investors that ever walked the face of the earth. We'll say is. He's alive. Yeah, yeah well, you yes. said was. That made me nervous. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, but he also has some quote about the most important factor in determining investment success is actually your temperament, not mm-hmm. your intelligence. Yeah, he kind of says temperament over IQ, mm-hmm. and that gives us a lot of the basis and foundation of behavioral finance. Mm-hmm. Nothing else. Sean shakes his head. I wish this was on video because you could see that same look every week when he's like, let's close this thing out. Um, so we will ask that you rate the podcast five stars or preferred. You can leave comments. A great way to get a hold of Blaine, Sean, or Trevor is this email address, Tom, T-O-M, at thebonsongroup.com. We'd be grateful to hear from you. Uh, comments, questions, um, anything we said wrong on this podcast, um, you can correct Sean. It's actually the Roaring Twenties. But um, <laughs> anyway. What would you say? Fifties? Oh. <laughs> what, what were the fifties? Uh, I don't know. But Brian Tong is shaking his head yes on what I said. Uh, so nobody needs to email us that. Uh, little humble pie for my friend Sean Latimer. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. Anyway, um, we will be back next week with more of our Thoughts on Money. The Bonson Group is registered with Hightower Securities, LLC, member FINRA and SIPC, and with Hightower Advisors, LLC, a registered investment advisor with the SEC. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities, LLC. Advisory services are offered through Hightower Advisors, LLC. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities. No investment process is free of risk, and there is no guarantee that the investment process or the investment opportunities referenced herein will be profitable. Past performance is not indicative of current or future 
future performance and is not a guarantee. The investment opportunities referenced herein may not be suitable for all investors. All data and information referenced herein are from sources believed to be reliable. Any opinions, news, research, analysis, prices, or other information contained in this research is provided as general market commentary. It does not constitute investment advice. The team and Hightower shall not in any way be liable for claims and make no expressed or implied representations or warranties as to the accuracy or completeness of the data and other information, or for statements or errors contained in or omissions from the obtained data and information referenced herein. The data and information are provided as of the date referenced. Such data and information are subject to change without notice. This podcast was created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed are solely those of the team and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors, LLC, or any of its affiliates. Hightower Advisors do not provide tax or legal advice. This material was not intended or written to be used or presented to any entity as tax advice or tax information. Tax laws vary based on the client's individual circumstances and can change at any time without notice. Clients are urged to consult their tax or legal advisor before establishing a retirement plan.